Amen, amen. You can take a seat. Hey, can we just uh, thank the band and Kyle for leading us? Would you do that with me? Would you thank them? If you weren't here uh, last Sunday, we actually introduced uh, Kyle McLean, the guy in the center here, uh, as our new director of ministry and worship. And so he's leading worship uh, and allowing God to allow him to lead you in worship, but also ministries across our church. So if you didn't get a chance to meet him last Sunday, uh, he'll be in the back after the service. Go meet him, uh, meet his family, and welcome them to Phoenix Bible Church on our staff as a part of our church family. We'd love for you to do that. Uh, my name is Tim. If we haven't met yet, I'm the pastor at Phoenix Bible, and so glad you've joined us today. If you're new with us, we say it this way really simply, that we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. And if you don't know, that's why we gather on a Sunday morning. That's when we get up, uh, get dressed up, or don't get dressed up. That's when we grab coffee in the morning. That's when we wrangle our kids and get them in kids' ministry. Is we've been moved by the perfect love of Jesus, and so we sing songs about Jesus. We proclaim God's word uh, because of the love of Jesus moving in and through and around us. And that's what we're about to do now. And again, last um, the last month or so, uh, we've had the blessing of hearing God's word proclaimed by our elder team. And so I'm the lead pastor of this church, but I'm not the only pastor. We have a team of pastors, elders who have come alongside you to shepherd you, to care for you, to equip you uh, to see the love of Jesus move in and through and around you. And uh, I've been blessed by that. Have you been blessed by these guys over the last month? Yeah, we can thank them again as well. Uh, it's been a blessing to our church, as, as some of you know who our pastors, elders are, and some of you didn't. Well, preaching God's word and, and getting to hear from them is a great way to hear their heart, and so you've got to hear that over the last month. If you've missed that, you can go back and listen on the podcast, on the website, Facebook, live. Uh, but it's also been a blessing to me personally. I've been able to do some things that I don't normally get to do, like preach at one of our supporting churches, uh, teach in PBC Kids last week, and that was eye-opening in amazing ways is I got to just shepherd little hearts uh, in, our, in our church and see what that's like firsthand. Uh, and then also just prepare for the fall. I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but we're super excited about a marriage and relationship series that we're starting this fall that's going to be 10 weeks long and cover everything from friendship to sex to parenting, marriage, all that stuff, singleness, dating. And so that's coming up in the fall and it's allowed me to prepare for that. So, so thankful for those guys. And as we've gotten to hear from internal leaders in our church, our elders, our pastors. Today, we're going to close out the month of July. I'll be back up next week. But today, we get to hear from one of our external uh, leaders. As a church, we are four and a half years old. And when we started the church, one thing we knew right off the bat was we didn't want to do this alone. And so as we built a new church, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And so we sought outside counsel to help us do that. Many of you have heard of this church. Desert Springs Bible Church has come alongside us in multiple ways, every step of the way. Part of the reason we're in this building is their wise counsel, their prayer for us. Part of the reason we have an elder team is, is their wise counsel in helping us assemble that. And so you've heard from Pastor Rick Eford and John Cavell, Matt Hawkins, uh, and now you get to hear from Pastor Caleb Campbell, one of the pastors over at Desert Springs Bible Church. So thankful for uh, his friendship, his, his wise counsel. Um, I could tell you a lot of stories. But I'll let him tell those stories uh, later on to you. But, but he's been a huge blessing in my life personally and for our church. Today, he's continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark. Who do you say that I am? And we are in Mark 13, which happens to address the end times. And so you invite guest speakers in to address the end times, right? Uh, and, and a funny story is I go to Caleb's church and preach. I'm going there in a couple months. Uh, I've been there several months ago. And the last time I was there, they brought me in to speak on taxes. 
And when I was introducing the topic and just thanking the church for all they do for us, I was like, you know, I'm really glad to be here. I'm not sure what this means when they bring the guest speaker in to speak on taxes. Maybe I'll bring Kayla back to to preach on end times or something like that. I joked about that, and we scheduled this a long time ago, didn't even know what the topic was going to be, and it's in times. Come on, people. God is real. God is moving. The love of Jesus is moving here today. So would you guys welcome PBC, uh, welcome, give PBC, give Caleb a warm PBC. Welcome. Do that now. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Uh, And for the right price, I'm glad to tell you any of the stories. I've got most of them with photographic evidence and manila envelopes. I keep them in my desk. (laughs) Hey, listen, I am so uh, glad to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I loved hearing about the the, the goat and chicken thing with uh, with the kids, uh, raising up children as disciples of Jesus, uh, showcasing for them what it looks like to uh, be generous and to serve and to put love into action is so important. And I just want to encourage you guys, like that's how you change the world. That's how you see generational cycles broken. That's how you see uh, things like uh, violence and poverty decrease. And so I am so glad that you guys are pursuing that. Uh, one of the things uh, that my wife and I have uh, tried to do is bring our children into uh, opportunities to serve. We had one last year in uh, an area of the world that's really hard, and a lot of folks don't have a a safe place to live, don't have a home, and so we went with a team, uh, brought our kids with us, and participated in a home build. And I've been on a variety of these things. Of course, in my line of work, you, you tend to get you tend to get more opportunities to go, also a lot of uh, subtle and not so subtle expectations to go as well. And I am not good at math, I'm not a handy person, and I have noticed something that consistently happens every time I'm at one of these builds. I'm the wheelbarrow guy. <laughs> They're handing out hammers and drills and measuring tapes and levels, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm like the, like the fat kid in kickball. I'm like, ah, no, you're not gonna, and then they're like, wheelbarrow, and everyone looks at me, and I'm like, all right, fine. So I'm the wheelbarrow guy. So I've seen a lot of foundations get poured. And one of the things that I've noticed is, regardless of what type of house you're gonna build, if you, are, if you want the house to last, if you want the house to have a, a, a good lifetime, you pay closest attention to the foundation. Because no matter how beautiful the home looks, no matter how elaborate its structures, no matter how glorious and wonderful it looks from the outside or from the ground up, if you have not built it on a firm foundation, what happens to the house? falls down. Everybody go like this. Yeah, you guys are great. If it's true with houses, then it's definitely true in our lives. Every one of us is building our lives upon some foundation, some absolute, some truth, some value, something or someone that we believe will not only give us dignity, meaning, and purpose, But when the going gets tough, right, when the chips are down, when the chaos seems to reign, when the storms of life come, what do we always turn to first? We turn to our foundation. Every one of us is building our lives on some foundation, some thing, some truth, some value, some purpose, that when the chips are down, we go to for peace, for comfort, In day-to-day life, we turn to our foundation for meaning, dignity, and value. 
In fact, one of the things that we may not realize is that the, the foundation of our life shapes every aspect of our being. We filter the world through the lens of our foundation. And so if we do not have a firm foundation, how will our lives be? It will be like a home that's built on a faulty foundation. That was your cue. And there are some of us here today, I'm convinced, who never thought they would step foot in a church. In fact, you probably thought the place would burn down when you walked in today. Don't worry, we have fire insurance and sprinklers. You never thought you'd step foot in a church. And the reason that you're here today is because your foundation is so shaken, you're willing to try anything, including Jesus. And so what we're gonna do today as we look at Mark chapter 13 is we're gonna look at three, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at this moment where Jesus directly confronts three faulty foundations that his disciples are tempted to turn to. And it may well be that for those of us that are followers of Jesus, we may have those same temptations. We may be tempted in the same way that they are. And for those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here today. Because one of the things that Jesus is going to show us in this teaching is what you already know, that there are hundreds of faulty foundations out there. But something that we may not know yet is that he's gonna point us to a firm foundation on which we can build our lives. And so Mark chapter 13, we're gonna ask ourselves this question. Will your foundation fail? And here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do this morning. Don't let this simply be an exercise. Don't let this simply be a thought experiment. I'm gonna encourage you to have the integrity to actually lay your foundation bare in your own heart and mind. Now, many of us who follow after Jesus, we, we think Jesus is our foundation, but I'm actually gonna push you today. As Pastor Tim said, you always bring in an outside speaker when you talk about if interesting and difficult topics like the end times or money. But in today's conversation, we're actually gonna see that, bring, that Jesus brings up things like politics, money, wealth, power, social capital, in fact, Jesus even elevates into our minds the concept of the entire cosmos collapsing. Are you encouraged? <laughs> what we're going to do today is we're going to have selected portions of Mark chapter 13. Uh, we'll uh, have them up on the screen for you. You can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. I'll try to stay on top of uh, referencing where we're looking. And we're going to read different portions of Mark chapter 13, and then we're just going to we're going to uh, talk through talk through, like this is a conversation, this ain't a conversation. This is definitely a monologue. I'm going to talk through and help us think through what this might mean for us today. So we will start here. Now, the, the scene is this, and Bradley did a great job last week concluding through Mark chapter 12. And if you've been following along, you might remember that in chapter 12, we were squarely in the temple. So if you were to use your mind's eye and think through, okay, where are we right now? Well, Jesus has gathered with his disciples. He's in the temple courts, okay? So the beautiful, magnificent, uh, one of the most beautiful, magnificent places in Jerusalem. This would have been considered to be the seat of power. In fact, uh, most of Jesus' disciples would have, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna intentionally do something here, they would have viewed the temple 
as the icon of not only uh, their religious identity, but their national identity as well. You see, Jesus' disciples were uh, uh, under the, um, oh, how should we say, they were living in Roman-occupied Jerusalem. And what that means is, is that they viewed it as their hometown, and there was a point of pride in their hometown. And the largest point of pride was the temple. It was a source of national identity. It was also a source of uh, power. They would view the temple as the most beautiful thing uh, even in the world. And yet, they were occupied by the Romans. And so walking around the temple courts, this source of national identity, were Roman centurions. And what did they usually have in their hands? Spears or swords. And so if you were one of Jesus' disciples in this moment, talking about and thinking through the temple, you would be looking at this source of national pride and identity, a source of power. And what would you be watching? Who would you be watching walk by? Come on, talk to me. Roman centurions. Uh, Think if um, we were invaded by the Canadians. Yeah, they always laugh, except for the Canadians who were like, it's possible. <laughs> eh? It's possible, eh? Right? So imagine we were invaded by the, the Canadians, and we're hanging out, following some teacher, and we're hanging out in the National Mall, right? And we walk past the Vietnam Memorial, and we walk past the MLK statue. Uh, the uh, MLK statue, and we walk up past the Lincoln Memorial, and in the background is the White House, the Capitol building, sources of national pride, and yet you see a bunch of Mounties walking around with their spears. How would you feel? How would you feel? You'd be mad. Who would you want to be kicking out real soon? The soldiers, right? I mean, you guys with me? Are you here? And let's say this teacher that you're following is saying things like, I'm going to usher in a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is coming. Now, of course, you believe that your kingdom is synonymous with the kingdom of God. And so what do you assume that teacher is saying? He's the promised one who's going to do what? Kick out the who? The Canadians, the occupying force. You with me? And so everything that this teacher is saying to you as his disciple is being filtered through this lens with the temple and the Roman soldiers walking around. Are you with me? Now remember, the temple serves as an icon, an image of national identity and power. Here we go. So, this is Mark 13, 1 and 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And everyone gasped. Everyone gasped. Now, the reason you're gasping, I know, is because this is absolutely shocking. 
If you are there listening to Jesus, listening to his teachings, listening to him, to him say things like, I'm the promised one, I, 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 I'm gonna usher in the kingdom of God, you assume that means killing the Romans, right? And reestablishing the power and dominance of what? Your nation. Of which, what building is the icon of power? The temple. And so Jesus here says, not one stone will be left on top of the other. Now, I want you to see this. This is such a fascinating uh, uh, interplay here. Do you remember? It's, it doesn't even name the disciple who asked. It just says they came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what, I mean, you just, you just get an image of this person. Like, what wonderful stones. Look how magical everything is. Jesus, isn't it wonderful? And Jesus says, do you see all these stones? And then the disciples are like, uh-huh. And Jesus says, it's all going to crumble. What? Now, this is interesting. They ask him another question. Uh, after this portion, they, they're on the Mount of Olives. So they're across from the temple. So they're on a hillside. They can look over and still see the temple. And some of his disciples take him aside and say, Jesus, when is this going to happen? What's the question they asked? When? Now, this is interesting because if you've been following along with this in the Gospel of Mark, you, you will remember that in chapters 8, 9, and 10, as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem with his disciples in tow, three times, chapter 8, 9, and 10 record it, three times he says, see, we're going to Jerusalem. And when we get there, they're going to turn me, you're going to betray me, you're going to turn me over to the hands of our enemies, and they're going to kill me. But three days later, I will rise from the grave. And do you know what question the disciples did not ask Jesus? Not once did they say, when? You know what question they asked? If you read through chapter 8, 9, and 10, you'll see that surrounding every uh, one of Jesus' proclamations of his impending doom, you know what question they ask him? When you bring in your kingdom, can I be in power? When you bring in your kingdom, when you usher in your kingdom, I want to sit at your right hand or your left. I want to be in control with you, Jesus. I know you're the king and such, but I want to be like vice president. And here, do you see that Jesus saying the temple is going to fall? All of this is going to crumble. Do you see how that breaks apart the very foundation that they were building their lives upon? Do you see it? They're horrified. Jesus, when is this going to happen? You'll, you'll see it, uh, Jesus' answer in uh, verse 7. What was the question? Jesus, come on, talk to me. When is this going to happen? Okay, so he answers the question, watch this, verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. What was the question they went to Jesus in private and asked? When is this gonna happen? And what does he say in response? Okay, well, here's when it's gonna happen. 
Okay, so see if you can pin this down. Ready? Okay, you're, you're with Jesus right now. You're asking him, Jesus, when? And he says, when you hear of wars, when you hear of wars and rumors of uh, wars. So is it a Tuesday? What? Okay, let me ask you to do a little thought experiment. Can you imagine any time in human history when there have not been wars or rumors of wars? Has there ever been a time in history when there have not been wars or rumors of wars? Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus does this all throughout the gospel of Mark. If he doesn't agree with the premise of your question, he answers the question you should have asked or he completely confounds you by blowing all of your categories. Jesus, when is the temple gonna fall? You know when there's wars and rumors of wars? Uh-huh. And there's like famines and stuff going on? Mm-hmm. And nation is rising against nation? Okay. Then, that's not it. It's just the birth pains. All right. You know, we oftentimes think, we, we read through the disciples and we're like, why didn't they get it? But I mean, get, put yourself in there. We're, right now, we're even reading this and we're like, what is going on? Jesus is blowing all of their categories. You see, they're trying to fit Jesus into their political military framework and saying, Jesus, how do you help me make the temple great again? Guest preacher, here we go. Get your comment cards ready. Okay, nation will rise against nation, right? The thing about nations is this. They have a tendency, if you were to look back through the corridors of human history, nations have a tendency to rise, and then what? Think about how powerful the Romans are now. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you. If your foundation is built on your team being in political or military power, you are building your life on a faulty foundation. And Jesus wants for you a firm foundation to build your life upon. If, hey, I'm gonna yell at the Republicans for a minute. Republicans, if your peace stems from the fact that the majority of the government that you live under is on your team, it may well be that you have built your life upon a foundation that will one day crumble. Now I'm gonna to talk to the Democrats and don't be so smug that I picked you second. If you believe that if your team gets the office, then your life will be secure. Then we will finally have peace. Then nation will no longer rise against nation. You may be building your life on a faulty foundation. Libertarians, I'm glad you came out of your bunker today to join us for worship. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't make fun of libertarians. I know you all have guns. I would never <laughs> want to be gunned down. Here's, here, here, here's what Jesus is saying. Political powers will fail. Oh, 
read a Western Civ book. And Jesus here is directly confronting the false foundation that his disciples are tending towards. They want Jesus as their Messiah to kill the Romans, not to usher in a kingdom of God. Political powers will fail, but do not fear, Jesus says. It will all crumble, but do not fear. I remember uh, when the planes hit the towers on September 11th, 2001, uh, I remember being at work. I remember seeing it on TV, watching it. And that shook me. But probably what shook me even more was when my mom called me frantically. And she made this statement. If I don't see you again, I'm going to see you again. And immediately, I remember thinking, we've got the strongest, I'm a, I, I, we have the strongest military. I've been told my whole life that we're the greatest nation in the world. And here I am, scared. And I remember how that felt. I was shaken. But for me, at least at the time, my peace was built upon political and military power. And in just that moment, it was shaken. Perhaps some of you have experienced that as well. If we're building our lives on political or military power, it will fail. But Jesus says, do not fear. Hmm. Oh, uh, guest speaker yells at church time now. I want to encourage you guys into something, especially as we enter into the next few months and the political, uh, uh, the, 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 the election cycle is already in full effect, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and I, I, regardless of what you think about policy, here's what I do know. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to put the gospel on display by being compassionate, generous, gracious, forgiving, and long-suffering with one another and with those who are different than you. Here's something else. As a church family, what I know about PBC is that there are people in this room right now who have the opposite opinion than you about certain matters. And instead of running from the discomfort of that conversation or conflict, I want to encourage you as a church, run towards each other and together run towards Jesus. It may well be that Jesus has put you in a church family with people who you have nothing in common with, not to change them, but to shape you. And so when you see that insane thing they posted on Twitter, instead of thinking to yourself, maybe I should leave this church, recognize that Jesus built, builds local churches with diversity in mind to put a bunch of different type of people together to shape them more and more into his image. And the shaping always comes with sparks. We should expect argument, conflict. We should expect that other people are sinning against us. I'll prove it to you. Outside of the Gospels and the book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament, maybe without Revelation, well, actually, a yeah, Revelation include, the rest of the New Testament is just pastors writing to congregations saying things like this. Forgive one another, show grace to one another, be long-suffering with one another, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Why do you think those pastors had to write those letters? Why did those pastors have to write those letters? 
They're fighting against each other all the time. Oh, we have this like really um, rose-colored uh, view of the early church. Read your Bibles. <laughs> At one point in time, there's this pastor, and he basically says, stop devouring each other with your words. You're killing each other, church. Jesus puts us into congregations that are different, where people are different than one another in order to shape us more and more into his image. And PBC, this is your time to shine because there is no power force in the universe that's gonna put a Democrat and a Republican in the same room singing the same song in the same direction. So this is your opportunity. And it all depends on having a firm foundation. Look at what he says in verse nine and 10. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to, okay, TV timeout. Um, what did Jesus just undermine with the whole temple collapsing thing? The hope or the foundation of what type of power? National or political power, military power, you got me? He's now gonna push it uh, into your checkbook. Here we go. Uh, this is, uh, in some uh, traditions, uh, this would be called, uh, he's coming uh, into your neighborhood. And he's doing more than coming into your neighborhood. He's walking in the front door. He's going to the master bathroom and he's rifling through your medicine cabinet. Jesus is gonna get real personal right here. Check this out. Verse nine. But be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. Wait a minute, TV time out. Where are they gonna be beaten? What was the building that they were just enthralled with? The temple. And what's like a local representative of the temple's uh, 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 power structures? Synagogues. You're going to get beaten in where? The, the very power structures you're looking up to. You, you got me? Okay. You'll be beaten in uh, synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for whose sake? For my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Notice here that Jesus undermines the death-dealing power of military might by saying the thing we're gonna do for all the nations isn't defeat them, we're gonna proclaim the gospel to them. But if you follow me, he's saying to his disciples, he says, be on your guard, why? What's gonna happen to them? What's gonna happen to his disciples? Give me some examples that he says, come on. He says, you're gonna, you're gonna get beaten up. By who? The people you're looking up to. And you're gonna, you're gonna have to stand before who? Right, kings, governors, leaders. For whose sake? Because of Jesus. To what end? Why would he allow them to be delivered over? So that they could do what? Tell me again, I can't hear you now. They could proclaim the gospel, they could bear witness. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus here is not only prescribing what's gonna to happen to many of those who are following him, he's actually giving you more detail on what you're gonna read a chapter and a half later. Because what happened to Jesus? In just a few short days, he's gonna be turned over to who? Kings and governors. In just a few short days, who's he gonna be beaten by? In just a few short days, he's going to be the prototype of the type of life that you and I should come to expect if we build our foundation on him. Do you see it? And Jesus basically says this, your capital, your money, 
your health, your social capital, your capital, all the stuff that you have that has value, it will fail. But do not fear. And the disciples are being dismantled before his very eyes. In fact, this is, if, if, if memory serves, chapter 13 is the longest conversation that we have recorded that Jesus has with his disciples in the Gospel of Mark. And what's Jesus doing here? He's dismantling their faulty foundations. Do you see it? I mean, this is just, uh, he, just he just keeps coming at them. And so you see here Jesus saying, you're going to have all your money, all your power, all your wealth, it's all going to be given up. To be a follower of Jesus, to live as a disciple of Jesus, is to say to Jesus, all that I am and all that I have, Jesus, it's yours. We've, in our culture, made being a Christian about avoiding hell or uh, some sort of commercial transaction we have spiritually. But to live as a disciple of Jesus is, is to say, Jesus, everything I've got, it's yours. And Jesus says, many of you will give everything in order to bear witness to others, to proclaim the gospel. And I'm gonna ask you this question. If you follow after Jesus, if you are a disciple of Jesus, I'm gonna ask you this question. Who has Jesus put in your life that you need to bear witness to? Who has Jesus put in your life that you need to proclaim the gospel to? Now, here's what's interesting. When does the gospel proclamation come, at least in this text? After the disciple has given what? Everything. Only from a position, now this is fascinating to me, only from a position of worldly, a, a, a position in which the world would view it as weakness. Only from a position of weakness are these disciples called to proclaim and bear witness. Do you see it? giving up our preferences, giving up our rights, giving up uh, even some of the things that God's given to us for the betterment of others so that we might bear witness to the good news of Jesus. Who's in your life that Jesus is calling you to speak to and to live sacrificially towards? We live in a culture that says everything I have is mine. And Jesus calls us to build our lives on a firm foundation that says everything is a gift including every breath I take. And so in following Jesus, we pursue him into courts, into kings, layers, into synagogues, into friends' homes, where it might feel like we're under attack, but because our lives are built on a firm foundation, we are in a position of strength. In giving up, we gain power. Now, what was the question Oh, man, I got to tell you guys this story first. Uh, a buddy of mine, um, mentor through seminary, he was my mentor through seminary, he told me this story once. He had this uh, uh, family in his congregation, couple in his congregation. They walk into his office, and they slam the newspaper with the headline up, fa- uh, 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 headline up on his desk, and, say, and they say this, we are ruined. They had run a business. And some uh, financial dealings had gone sideways, not their own doing, something else in the company. Company was shutting down. They were losing everything, lawsuit, the whole deal. They slammed the newspaper down on his desk and said, we are ruined. And over the course of the conversation, through tears, and as as, uh, my buddy, uh, pastor buddy, unpacked what they uh, were going through, there was one moment where he looks them square in the eye, and, and they're saying, we've lost everything, we've lost everything, we've lost everything. 
And you know what my pastor friend said to him? If Jesus is who he says he is, you haven't lost a thing. What, what have you lost? Have you lost your dignity? Did your money give you your dignity? No. Have you lost your value? Did your money give you your value? No. What have you lost? If Jesus is who he says he is, you haven't lost a thing. And that's the point that Jesus is making here in this text. What was the question that they were asking? Jesus, when will this fall? And what's he been saying so far? Here's what's gonna happen to you. You're gonna lose your political and military power. You're gonna lose your personal capital and power. Those things are gonna fall anyways, but do not fear. And then he pushes it even further. I love this. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be, what's the word? Shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This is a absolutely horrifying image. Because what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, your, your nationalism, your, your military political power, that falls. Your personal capital, your personal rights, your social capital, the things that you hold dear and valuable, that's going to fall. And then there may be some of us who say things like this, well, at least life will find a way. How many of you remember Jurassic Park? You guys remember Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum's character? They're, they're just enthralled. They, they're, there's a little dinosaur, and then something, happened, something funny happened. And there's a little egg of a dinosaur which eats people, and it's this real tender scene, and Jeff Goldblum says, life found a way. And there are many of us who are clinging to the peace that we find in the natural order of things. Annie, you remember her? The sun will come out tomorrow. Uh, but according to Stephen Hawking, in 1,000 million, 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 million years, the earth uh, will run into the sun. <laughs> the sun will come out for just a few more years. And do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's already dismantled our nationalistic infrastructures. Then he's dismantling our personal uh, foundational infrastructures. And now he dismantles the entire cosmos. I'll read it again. See if I'm wrong. <clears throat> In those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. <gasps> and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. It's horrifying. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus says the cosmos will shake, but do not fear. Now, I love this. Jesus keeps dismantling our faulty foundations, and he keeps proclaiming to us what we are to be about. In fact, he's answering the question the disciples should have asked. What was the question they asked? When? What they didn't ask is Jesus, in the midst of the chaos that we perceive in our lives, what should we be doing? They don't ask that question, but what is the question that Jesus answers? He answers the what should we be doing question. I'll prove it to you. He says in uh, verse uh, 32, 
Oh, I love this. Oh, what was the first question? When, yeah, and now he gets right to it. He's the whole chapter. He's done the whole chapter, and now we're here to verse 32. But concern, this is so funny. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. <laughs> Come on, man. No one knows, not even the angels, nor the son, just the father. Like, if you open the chapter, right? The chapter opens with when. And you close the chapter with, meh, I don't know. The question you should have asked is, Jesus, when the world seems to be falling around us, what should we be doing? And he answers it in verse 33. He says, it's all gonna crumble. And this is verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time has come. And then he continues to pound the drum of stay awake, stay alert. Now here's an irony. Uh, this is fascinating to me. What, did, what command did he just give to them? Stay alert or awake. Did you guys see it? Okay, one of the very next scenes. In fact, the next scene that we have in this exact place is Jesus' disciples falling asleep. It's called the Garden, of, we call it the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus goes and in agony he's praying. It's that, it's that infamous moment where he says, Father, if it be at all possible, would you let this cup pass from me? But do you remember that multiple times he goes back to his, he goes back to his disciples and he's disappointed because they could not even stay awake. Oh, this is a bitter irony here. Jesus is prefiguring in this whole dialogue everything that's gonna happen to him. And the one thing he calls his disciples to do in the very next scene in this place, they fail to do it. Stay awake, stay alert, be about my business. For those of us that are tempted to do end time studies, you know what Jesus says to us? You ain't never gonna find out when because ain't nobody knows except for God the Father. But here's what you are to do. Stay awake. Keep your eyes open. And when you're standing before kings and you're being beaten in synagogues, proclaim my name. Be about that business. And do not place your hope in the faulty foundations that will fall and crumble. Oh, there's this infamous song, old school Christian hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame or the most attractive thing, but I wholly trust in Jesus' name. What foundation are you building your life on? Is it politics? Is it military power? Is it social capital? Is it your health? Is it money? Is it a lover? What thing are you building your life upon? Because Jesus here says, it will fail. And Jesus wants for us a foundation that lasts eternal. And Jesus goes on to say this, or excuse me, I just wanna remind us of what Jesus says in verse uh, 26. And then, so remember this scene, uh, the earth is no longer doing what? or excuse me, the sun, the sun's no longer doing what? Shining its light, the moon's not reflecting the light, everything's crumbling. Jesus says this in verse 26. And then they will see the son of man, that's his name for himself, 
coming in the clouds. This is a huge hyperlink to Old Testament uh, poetry literature, which speaks of God as the great cloud rider, whose clouds are like a chariot. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? You're gonna see that come to fruition. You will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great weakness and meekness. Is that what it says? Oh, no, sorry. There's a little, the lighting's not great up here. Uh, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great uh, fear and trembling. Is that what it says? What's it say? You will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Again, Old Testament poetic imagery. Coming with great what? And what? Are you sure? No, 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 no. I'm not saying are you sure it's there. I mean, is it sure in here? What are you building your life upon? There's a day coming where the foundation that we build our lives upon will be put to the test. It will be shaken. And Jesus wants for you to build your life, your hope, your peace, your dignity, your worth, your value. He wants you to build all of it on him. Don't let this day go by without asking, what am I building my life on? And asking yourselves this question, will your foundation fall? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We give you thanks for your many provisions and blessings. As we think through your love for us, your great strength and power, Jesus, we turn ourselves over to you knowing that you are good, you're loving, you're gracious towards us. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for this reminder that our hope must be built on you and you alone. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.